What's up, Accelerators? Welcome to Normalize It, the show where we speak about and explore the business of disability inclusion and accessibility. I'm your host, Cam Baudouin, and on each episode, I'll be interviewing leaders, professionals, and people with lived experiences, and we'll be discussing the challenges, successes, and strategies on how to make this world a more inclusive place. As you know, many organizations are still trying to figure out disability inclusion through a trial and error method. That's inefficient. Stick around to the end of the show to find out how we can fix that. So whether you're an advocate, entrepreneur, business owner, stakeholder, VP, or just someone who's interested in the world of disability inclusion, this show is for you. Let's dive into it. You and I sat next to each other in the panel for disruptive technologists, right? Yes, sir. And what did we talk about there? We were we were talking just about kind of general accessibility stuff. Yeah, I think we were talking about general accessibility stuff. And then I had, it was the first time that I had met Lauren, the woman who is the driving force behind everything that we were doing. I think I spoke very authentically about the challenges people who happen to have a disability, specifically a print disability, run into on a daily basis. And it just or ignited an organic conversation about digital equity and authentic inclusion of ability right. alongside race, gender, orientation, and religion in both our social and corporate cultures. And it was a great experience. Yeah. And see, I loved where that conversation evolved into, right? I, I know a lot of these panels, especially when you see the word technology, we can get quite pigeonholed into the conversation around alt text, right? Like, like it's just It's just that one, that's all we talk about is alt text and labels for most of it. But we changed, we moved that conversation to this is a right and this is important to, conversation to have in any kind of DEI inclusion conversation as well. It's not just a right. And I think that's where, you know, having joined this community unexpectedly now 17 years ago, it, when I first learned about the ADA and the Rehab Act here in the States and, you know, Hats off to Canada. What they're doing there is is just as progressive in all the uh, inclusion and the steps they're taking to require adherence to inclusion mm -hmm. and digital um, equity. It was based on a right. You know, that's not how corporate America or the corporations around the world work. They want to know what's good for their bottom line. Right. So it's more about it makes good business sense. You're talking about a community of people. If I may start some of the some of the verbiage that we will refer to later, is that all right? Yeah, yeah, let's go. Yeah. So we have 1.4 billion people in the world with a disability. That's larger than the population of China. Mm -hmm. We have 2.3 billion friends and family all over the world. We have eight trillion dollars of di uh, discretionary income, where 4.9 trillion rests in North America with 300 million dollars of disposable income. It is a market base. That's right. You know, years ago when we started courting to African-Americans, oh, it's never going to take off. And then the Latinos and then the LGBT community. And now today you're seeing the natural progression of inclusion stepping into and I'm going to say dragging the disability community forward into the 21st century through marketing and advertising, through employment, and through inclusion just across the board. So, I mean, I've seen even in my seven, eight years working in the industry, I've seen progress. I've seen movement in one direction. And that's why I love to speak to people who have a, a larger uh, 
like a broader range of how long they've been working in the industry, because you can really start to shine a light on this is where we were 17 years ago. And this is where we are now. And what a difference, like what a difference in technology and people's thinking towards disabilities. Well, well. It, it also has to do with understanding that people with a disability aren't all the same. Right. You know, we talk about diversity and inclusion. I dare say 90% of corporations in the world do not have diversity programs that include yeah. people with disabilities. Yet people with disabilities are at the intersectionality of all minority groups, all minority majority groups, and all ages. Anybody of any race will acquire disability as they age. Anybody of any gender, orientation, religion. It's one of those communities and groups and, and clubs you will join through no choice of your own mm -hmm. as you age. Um, and now with the baby boomers, hoy, it's happening at an unbelievable pace. And layer in the recent pandemic that we've been dealing with globally and how the world came to appreciate how remote work from home opportunities were not just possible, but absolutely required to continue business day to day. And the disability community is now able to discuss without having it be uh, tossed aside as an unreasonable accommodation, mm -hmm. a reasonable accommodation or adaptation to work from home, where in the States here, at least 50% of the work that is being done in an office can be done remotely. Right. And, and see, if you, to any of your listeners right now, if you're in the position where you need to maybe speak to a lead or speak to a, 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 someone, an executive, this is the conversation that you want to be having because we can't just talk about the nice to haves going back to your, to your numbers that you were just giving Albert, yeah. you know, the trillions of dollars that are, that the market segments that we need to become aware of. And when we speak to the leaders of organizations, these are the numbers that will resonate with them. These are the numbers and the facts and figures that we as a community have to stop shying away from. Yes, it's important that this is the right thing to do, but that doesn't move mountains. It just doesn't. It just doesn't when yeah. there's there's leaders who have a two-year timeline of where they want to go. When we start yeah. showing dollars, that that changes people's opinions. And, and, and the truth is that doing it for the warm, socially conscious reasons or because you want to help poor downtrodden people with disabilities has not worked for thousands and thousands of years. Right. I think you've heard me say that, you know, if you go back to the Bible and the Torah and the Quran, people with disabilities aren't worthy of God's love. Forget being accepted socially. Mm -hmm. And that stigma has haunted us and held us back as a community for thousands and thousands of years. We generalize that everybody who has a disability must be and depends on the garments, must be codependent on the assistance of strangers and need help doing day-to-day -day activities like feeding themselves. And, you know, I've always drawn a correlation or a reference to Forrest Gump. Mm -hmm. Forrest Gump overcame social adversity, mental yep. adversity, physical adversity, economic diversity, because he had... That lived by the mantra at my blind spot, which is access to the right tools promotes ability and restores infinite possibilities in our lives. And then when you look at Forrest Gump as the median individual, and I'm going to use the numbers in the States because it's easier for me to do my math. <laughs> we have 62 million people with a disability. Let's say 61, and that's overly conservative. Yep. Of those six, uh, 31 million of those people 
require day-to-day -day care. The other 31 million are like Forrest Gump, high school diplomas, college diplomas, master's degrees, and PhDs who can execute in life if we just remove the barriers that are in place. Exactly. Yeah. You know, when I first lost my eyesight, having found myself smack dab in the middle of this community, I did research. You know, Albert Einstein, who impacted the human condition and the world 10 times over, had severe dyslexia. Yes. That is a yeah. form of a print disability. Yeah. Then you had just recently too, we've got uh, Elon Musk, who's on the autism spectrum mm -hmm. Asperger's, I, I'm not too sure which. And then Richard Branson. Sir Branson, Sir Richard Branson had severe dyslexia, was ridiculed and chastised as a student in elementary school, high school, college, was made fun of in corporate America, basically, you know, being looked down yep. upon. And where is he today? Oh, taking us to the moon and beyond. So people with disabilities have consistently and authentically impacted the human condition in ways that go back to ancient Grecian times. And the, the, the oldest reference I found predated the Bible by, I don't know how many years, an Indian queen, a queen of India, mm -hmm. had been in a battle, lost, I think it was her left leg below the knee. Okay. Yeah, she was a badass. Took a piece <laughs> of iron, jammed it into her leg, and hopped back on her horse to go lead her nation to success in overcoming whatever she was fighting that day. And if you take a look at people like, you know, Winston Churchill, mm -hmm. Winston Churchill had severe mental illness. He would not go near a balcony or a train platform for fear he would jump off and two of his daughters committed suicide. Then you have FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, a dole. I mean, there it just goes on and on right, and on. Right. And we just turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to people like that. And it, it's for reasons that we're, that I think are rooted in fear and guilt. Yes. Fear we're going to catch it. Yep. In some way, shape or form. And guilt because we couldn't protect our loved one from acquiring it and or being born with it. So I, I want to, I want to expand on that too, because that's something that's really important to say. Fear of guilt. And I've always said that we are not provided with the language to speak about disabilities in a thoughtful manner either. And I think that part of the guilt plays into this too. My parents didn't teach me how to speak about disabilities. Neither did any educators in my yeah. schools. Neither did any HR department that I've ever worked at or recruiters. Nope. I mean, had someone ever to told me, hey, Cam, you're going to be working with someone who's blind and this is how you should greet them and don't touch the dog and, you know, without asking them first. There's all these, there's all these elements that we don't have the language and we're not being trained yeah. on how to do that either. I think we're also socially and traditionally conditioned to not talk about it. Yes. I mean, I, I, you know, growing up, I had family members and friends in the neighborhood who had disabilities. Ellen had multiple challenges, but we still did. We still went to play with her, you know. And um, my cousin Christopher has cerebral palsy. One of my good friends in college right. had cerebral right. palsy. You know, we didn't look at them as any different. And it dawned on me one day as I'm walking on 11th Street in New York City, coming back from a bakery with a kick-ass chocolate raspberry-filled cake. And I hear this, um, I, I guess she must have been about 11 to 13, let's say 12-ish. And I hear this young girl go, Mommy, that man's blind. I was walking with my guide dog. It might have mm -hmm. been the first year I was blind because I got my guide dog really quickly. And I 
heard her and I said, well, that's interesting that you noticed. I'm not deaf, but I am blind. How mm -hmm. could you tell? And her mother right away starts chastising her. Uh, you shouldn't talk like that. I'm so sorry, sir. And I realized my teachable moment wasn't for the daughter. It was for the mother who right. was at 11 teaching that daughter to not notice me. And I thanked the little girl. I said, you know, she saw me. You know, people see me with my cane. They don't talk to me. They part ways like the Red Sea. And it's usually the kids who see the cane and wonder, right. oh, mister, you're going to hit me. Uh, you know, I, it's an elastic band. Wow, he's doing magic. And just having these, you know, questions and conversations with children who will say, why is that person so fat? Why are they dark? I don't understand. And instead of answering the questions and allowing that natural inquisitive nature to take root and allow us to be seen, we quell it. And the reason you don't see blind people, Cam, in your work environments is we don't see them in our schools. Right. We don't see people with disabilities in the general ed population. Mm -hmm. They are put into a special school, quote unquote, and by not seeing them in our early childhood, we don't see them in post-secondary academia, and we certainly don't see them in our work environment. So as trite as this sounds, it needs to start in the home and Correct. in our childhood. Exactly. I think this is a generational thing Agreed. that needs to be corrected. It can't just be a, an HR policy as good as that is. And I would encourage every, any organization who currently has a DEI, a diversity, equity, and inclusion policy. It, we need to start that conversation there. Anywhere where it gets started is important, but really to make the changes, uh, go pick up Emily, Emily uh, Lado's book, uh, Demystifying Disability. It's fantastic. And it will yeah. talk about real conversations and it yeah. will talk about how to approach people with disabilities. And I remember my son, when he saw the cover of the book, he started to notice people who looked like that, people in wheelchairs yep. or people who are little, uh, little people or who have blindness or, you know, you know, cause the yeah. cover has, uh, uh, little drawings of, of, of people, of people with varying well, types of, of abilities. The, me, the minute we see people, then we draw a reference to them. I remember walking with my cane and somebody thought I was I was at a bar. We were at a, a club. The music was playing. And the guy goes, nice cane. You look like a dandy. And I'm like, I bet he used the word dandy. That's such an old antiquated terminology <laughs> for somebody who's so fancy. But he's like, wow, it's a cool cane. And I'm like, okay. I was like, do I tell you what it is or can you figure it out? So, you know, ignorance is bliss, but once we, you know, pull the veil back on ignorance and we educate and inform people, it becomes a whole different conversation. Right. And, you know, it's just really important for us to understand that HR and legal have been the biggest barriers and blocks to full assimilation and integration of people with disabilities into the workforce. Recently, universities and colleges have started a disability resource center, mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. is, you know, at least creating a avenue to garner education sufficient enough to pursue careers. And, um, you know, to the point of awareness, I think, again, we're at a cutting edge time in human history where baby boomers are aging into the disability community at an alarming rate, and they yep. need to work longer because of economics. And we have the younger generation tends to be truly inclusive. They are on the internet. They are meeting people around the world of different colors, different persuasions, different ethnicities, different religions, different continents. Yep. And we're seeing people with disabilities and they are more inclusive and wanting of everybody to be at the table that I think with the baby boomers and our youth, there's going to be an 
dramatic increase in inclusion like we've never seen before. I agree. I agree because now the stats are showing that Gen Zs, they want to work for companies that have diversity programs and that are thinking yeah. about people uh, people as uh, their workforce as people and not just as resources, right? I want to talk about my blind spot. I want to talk about that business conversation that you have when you go into these large organizations because that's a big part of what this show is about. I, I love hearing how you go and approach these large organizations, multi-billion dollar organizations, which I know that you work with, how is the conversation different with them than it is with smaller organizations? Or I don't know, where do you want to get started with that? I don't know. I, and that's the weird thing is there really isn't a conversation save in the beginning. The only the only client we have today, let me rephrase that. One of the clients that started the business that we have today was Intuit. We worked with Intuit, the manufacturers of QuickBooks. Yep make their now 35, almost 40 year old legacy usable and functional to the disability community for the first time in its history. And it was a custom design program pre MSA pre ADA in the late 80s. That is the only program that I never used professionally, but relied on as a business owner as an executive. Yep. 90% of the clients we have today, I'm a client for, right? So I will go to American Express and say, I'm having a problem. Morgan Stanley, American Airlines. We just signed a contract with Purdue Farms. I mm -hmm. eat their meat all the time. So it, it's a very different conversation going to a corporation as a loyal consumer saying, hey, I got a problem. Yep. Versus advocating for and telling them the law mandates that nobody really right. cares about the laws. Legal departments have huge coffers of resources to deal with any litigation that doesn't right. fit their quote unquote norm. Yep. I remember the conversation that we had with Intuit and we created a video for them telling the story, the real life story of a bookkeeper, Dixie Sanderson, who lost her eyesight in 48 hours due to an allergic reaction to a medication. Wow. In those 48 hours, not only did she lose her eyesight, but she lost the ability to generate an income for her family. Mm -hmm. And when we showed this to the executives at Intuit, it was the last thing we showed them. <laughs> when we were done, you could hear a pin drop. And I thought, ooh, you went too far. They're not happy. You told them the baby's ugly. And his name was Kieran Patel. And he goes, Albert? had us at hello the moment you started talking about our pillars and our commitments to our clients and how we failed people with disabilities. And then with that video, it's just the cherry on the Sunday. And we've been working with them ever since. And it's an uphill battle because inclusion isn't at the forefront of everybody's mind because there isn't a dollar attached to it. Yes. And again, Sue me. I don't care. I've got money to fight these things, which is why we don't go after large corporations. You know, negotiating and um, strategically planning on ways to increase their bottom line have been very successful for me. And I don't lead with people with disabilities are being denied access. I now lead with you've got people who have been your loyal customers for decades who are aging into the community. And unless you stay ahead of that curve and build into your digital plans and infuse into the DNA of your corporate culture, authentic inclusion of ability, you're going to be adversely impacted when these people go someplace else to find right. what they're getting from you. Absolutely. It's a dollar and cents thing. It is. It, it is. really is.
And I think, and I think like, like we were saying before, I think a lot of people shy away from that conversation. And when you are prepared to have that conversation and you're ready to come up with, you know, fight objections that your boss, your lead, your director, or who it may be kind of comes up and says, well, that's not part of our roadmap. And I like to pull up, I like to pull up companies' blogs. I don't know if I've ever told you this. I pull up a company's blog and I say, well, well, actually, this blog here is talking about how diverse our workforce is. So oh, yeah. and how it fits in with the with our corporate values and our mission statement. And and I love pulling up and show show it on screen. You know, like yep. I show it on screen. No, say, and well, I, I love you for that because that's exactly what I do. And I'm like, wait, so because I have a disability, I don't fit into we respect, we value, we commit to the community. My my community doesn't count. And it's just, it, it, when you point it out that way, I've sat across from huge investment firms. Do people with disabilities really have money to invest? I mean, is this really important? How the hell am I supposed to answer that when I'm one of your major clients? No, but we, we're, I'm a client and I tell you, it's annoying. Or when you've got colleagues of yours who are highly intelligent, articulate people who just happen to be blind and when the person who's responsible for managing a team says, hey, by the way, we've got this problem. Well, we really don't have a diversity problem. We've hired you, so we should be good. That's it's like good you don't, the, the stupidity with which HR and legal approach things is just disheartening. And I'm hoping that because people who are aging into the community happen to be the largest amasses of wealth in human history, the baby boomers, money's going to talk a little louder than it did yes. before. Yeah, yeah. But people with a print disability, let me let me just go a little yeah. deeper into that. People with a print disability are individuals who have a sensory limitation, whether mm -hmm. it's a blindness, hearing impairment, people who are deaf, deaf and blind, people with speech impediments who still get the short end of the stick. There's mm -hmm. a lot more work to be done there. Um, people with mobility issues. Talking about baby boomers. Yep. People are having strokes, acquiring Parkinson's disease, maybe arthritis, to say nothing of any number of spinal cord injuries. We have a member on our team, Jeff Weldon, who is one of the most valuable members we have. He's basically paralyzed from the neck down. Mm -hmm. Then you have people with traumatic brain injuries and uh, cognitive delays and people with you know, severe learning disabilities like dyslexia, my partner is dyslexic, mm -hmm. and our aging population of people. All of those people cannot read printed material in the traditional format. People with sensory loss, you know, a lot of us have become conditioned and numb to captioning. Yes. I can't tell you how many foreign language learners or, you know, ESL students are using captioning to yep. practice English. My partner Cap uses it so he can listen to and pay attention to and capture what's going on. We see that in, in, in sports bars because that way people can see what's going on the TV since they can't hear it. With blind people, we use something called a screen reader, which takes the text on a screen and transcribes it into an audio outbook. So everything's an audio book for me today, you know, and if yep. it's not coded properly, all of that stuff does not work. People with mobility issues are also dependent on voice-to-text technologies. Dragon Naturally Speaking is one of them. And your iOS and Android platforms, a lot of people don't realize that Android phones and iOS platforms mm -hmm. have accessibility built into them for people who are blind, deaf, mobility impaired. It, it just goes on. Yep. Large, yep. Print, low, short, you know. So we have people who use screen readers and we have people who use magnifiers, which is self-explanatory, braille displays, which is taking the printed text and transcribing it into a keyboard that 
creates the braille letters so people can read. And there you go, print disabled. It's it. And right. Right. print is important right now too. And, and, and by the way, I'm not sure if anyone knows this as well, but even, um, I know this is a little bit off topic, but gaming consoles also have a ton of accessibility features Dude, we, that are oh, built in. We just interviewed Aaron uh, Spelker, uh -huh. who is a gamer and blind and lost his eyesight three years ago and um, had an investment firm and everything. And we were just talking about gaming. I had never been a gamer. My brother ruined video games for me because he was so good at it. And I always thought he was cheating. Um, and here I am living with a gamer extraordinaire. And all he does is look for games that I can play, whether it's, you know, um, I, I don't even want to begin to list the stupid games. I, I'm not I'm not into it, but it is a great way for people with disabilities to escape their mundane doldrums. Yes. yes and, yeah. and some people locationally challenged. And what I mean by that is you have a lot of people in rural America who can't get to a specific physical location to do anything. Yep. And companies like Microsoft are now creating joysticks that people who have mobility issues can use there's a lot of auditory games for blind people and it allows us in today's world to socialize and it's not like when i was a kid where you played the video game atari we played pong and breakaway yeah and you had to fight over the one remote or you had to get a second remote and you played together in that same room people all over the world play games and you don't even know the people aside from their screen names Right, right, right. In it's fact, I, the, and when you talk about revenue streams, streaming itself, where you get sponsors and you get, yeah. you know, who owns, uh, who owns Twitch now? I think it's Amazon, right? Amazon, who owns Twitch, has seen a huge boom in 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 players with disabilities playing these games. And I'm well, saying Amazon that, needs to get on their game because they're they're still uh, Peter Korn runs the accessibility stuff. He's been there for years. Yeah. There's just some complacency people get to, and I, I don't know. I mean, Microsoft's doing a great job. Yahoo tried. You know, it just, I don't know. There's a saturation point, I think, where corporations say, okay, we've done enough, and it's never enough. And when we do something, and this is very important for everybody uh, listening out there to appreciate, if we improve the usability and functionality of a mm -hmm. digital platform, no matter what it is, a website, a mobile app, PDFs, games, we reach 90% of the disability community, and I spoke about those numbers, but we also improve the usability and functionality by 10% for the people I call temporarily able. Mm -hmm. All of you people who don't have a disability are temporarily able. You will be here soon. So if you enjoy your joystick so much, you're going to want to make sure that the company you're purchasing your stuff from is inclusive. See, that's why I'm practicing now with the screen reader, right? That's why I entered the industry. I'll already know how to use a screen reader by the time. By the time. Yeah, I, that's what I, I, I want to know. What, what made you get into disability uh, advocacy the way you do? I mean, you, you, aside from the disability you have acquired through my friendship. What 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 was the driving force for you to be interested in the disability community? So I started out as a developer at IBM, and I was given the task to make a project accessible. I was a bit of a hotshot at the time. I thought, you know, I can tackle anything. Uh, I was given six weeks to figure out everything I could about the accessibility guidelines. I, I printed out the WCAG, if you can believe it. And I flipped through the 80 or 90 pages. Wow. And I, <laughs> that's, that, that's how I started. I started like that. I, I met with some success, but I'd never actually met someone with a disability. Beneficiary of your work. Uh, correct. Yeah. And then I finally did. And, and it was actually my friend, Tom. Tom Babinski, if you're on the phone right now, like great Tom. team. Do you know Tom? 
Yeah, all us blind people know each I other. I knew it. I knew it. Yeah. So Tom, uh, so Tom though, he worked at IBM as well, and he would do the rounds. I do know Tom because Tom also probably knows Francis West and Drew oh, Lahart yeah. and, yeah. and Becky Gibson. I've worked with all actually I was on the phone with Drew Lahart the other day. So so when Tom would go around, I was I was so nervous. I was freaking out because we we're first off. Again, back to the point, I'd never met someone who was blind. I didn't know how to do anything. So I saw my boss walk up to Tom and stick his hand out and say, hi, Tom, my name's Jim. Jim is not his real name. Jim, yeah. My name's Jim. And, I, and and it's great to meet you. And there's this super awkward moment between someone who has sight and someone and who does not have sight. And and he was an A-type personality, right? So, so Jim would sit there with his hand outstretched and no hand being returned. And there's this like... 10 second pause yeah, of happening. I freaked out, Albert. I freaked out. I ran back to my desk. I opened up YouTube and I typed in how to shake a blind person's hand. No. See, but did they, we didn't have YouTube when I was a kid or yeah. all this stuff. <laughs> you and John, I get pissed off at Jonathan, my partner. It's like, oh, let me Google that. I'm going to Google your face. It's just so <laughs> weird. And, you know, Gail King, who I dreamt, I, I had visions of in my hospital bed, her and Oprah, another story. But I, I, my goal is to meet Oprah and Gail because Gail had a CBS was doing this whole outreach. And I think we had this conversation at when you and I met where it was Disability Awareness Month, which is right now in October. Yep. And she had done this PSA. But, well, how do you start a conversation with the person with a disability? And she's like, well, I don't know. How about, hi, my name is Gail. What's yours? Yeah. And right. at the same time, I ran into that same situation with sighted people. I will always put my hand out. You do. I notice that when you do. You, you you put your hand out first. And it depends on who I'm with. Yeah, yeah, Albert, they're gone. Your hand is just sitting there doing nothing. Or with a blind person, some people prefer to snap. Other people find that offensive. Mm. But I will always say when I'm, and I do this with blind people too. Hey, John, nice to meet you. My hand's out in front of you. And yes, yeah. this like slapping game where you find it. And and so my, my friend at later on told me, Hey, Cam, just the fact that you state everything you do when I'm handing him a cup of coffee, I say, by the yeah. way, I'm near your left hand. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm, I'm coming to your right. Like, you know, just, just stating exactly what I was going to do made all the difference. So, well, and, and, and taking it a step further, since we're giving people cues, other people who are, are blind, some of my colleagues and peers, like, how do you always get the waitress's attention? And I used to own restaurants in the city before I lost my eye in New York city, before I lost my eyesight. And one of the things I always have prided myself on is learning people's names. So you mm -hmm. can say, hey, Cam, good to see you again. You know, and I would always ask the wait, the wait person their name and then call them by name, thank them by name. And it always blows me away when some of them come in and say, OK, Albert, I'm putting your glass at the one o'clock position on your right side or this is on your left. And if it's new people, some people don't see me coming in, so they can't tell I'm blind. I'm like, look, lady, I am totally blind, so you need to let me know when you're coming in for a landing. Otherwise, all that alcohol is going to be on the floor, and you're going to have a blind man with a straw sucking it up. But it's just communication. We have yes, to communicate. Yes, and that's 90% exactly. that of the problem. I know when I go into schools to speak to students of all abilities, what do I do if I want to become a computer specialist? Learn how to communicate. What if I want to do you know, to become a, a street sweeper? Learn how to communicate. That's right. Speaking, what do I want to do if I want to become an accessibility specialist? Learn to communicate. Well, but that, but that, that, you know, reading, writing, and, and speaking are just the most important skills we can have as individuals, period.
with that, Albert, we got to wrap up the show. Any oh. last words that you want to say? Any last words? Uh, any- yeah, feel free to email me at albert at myblindspot.org if you need help with your digital platforms or need to ask questions specific to the disability community. Thanks so much. Have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you next week. Wasn't that a great episode? You probably have lots of new ideas swirling through your head right now. Now, how are you going to go and teach that to your boss, your team, or your clients? You need a strategy to move forward. Contact me today, hi at cambodwine.com, and let's talk about how we can move this forward in your organization or individual practice. If you could right now, like and subscribe to this show. It really does help grow our reach to get more people involved and interested in disability inclusion and making the world a more inclusive place. And don't forget, you can also watch this show live on LinkedIn. Just find me there. It's every Friday at noon Eastern. See you next week.